Hello and welcome. I'm Haney. I'm not Simon, I'm Alexander. And I'm not Alexander, I'm Simon. We are Needeep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 248, recorded on December 4th, 2023. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Glad we got the name sorted. <laughs> yeah, it, it's good to know who you aren't when, when we start at least. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean that as, as the episode goes on, that might change? I think you should be <laughs> open not. to anything. Uh, and we are not alone today uh, because we uh, we had one of our listeners actually reaching out to us and therefore he has now been forced to live with us for at least an hour. So welcome, Bjorn. Who are you and, and uh, what do you do? Hi, uh, thanks. Uh, so this is a call out to people. Don't email these people because they will call you. They will call you, uh, and then they will force you to be on the podcast. Yeah. Hi, mm-hmm. uh, Bjorn. Uh, I work uh, at. Uh, I was previously uh, working together with Simon on your previous employers. I think mm-hmm. uh, today I work as a product manager at Trusec. When I'm not emailing podcasts and telling them hi, I think uh, yeah, we need to talk. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll get into what you emailed us about later on, but now you're welcome to be a a, uh, guest at this news segment. So, uh, Alexander, what will we uh, get Björn's unique insights on today? Oh my. So, it's always interesting to have uh, different kinds of of perspectives on on episodes and and having Haney's expertise on on networking, your expertise on on things I have no idea about, is, is always very beneficial. And then now we have Bjorn, who's more of a, a security guy, I, I gathered. But there have been a lot of news in the Power BI slash Synapse slash Fabric sphere. And I mean, these days, it's a bit of a mishmash. All these things sort of kind of blend together. So Power BI is technically a part of Fabric. Synapse is not a part of Fabric, but they kind of go hand in hand anyways. We're going to start with a number of new things that came out. And the first one that I want to mention is Explore. And Explore is in public preview. It's a part of, of um, well, Power BI, I guess you could say both Power BI and, and uh, Fabric. Explore is all about this um, initial... Well, exploration of, of data. You you have a data set, you have some idea of what you're looking at, but Explore gives you a window to start poking at the data. In many cases, we find ourselves in a situation where we don't really know what information, if any, this data will yield. I.e., you need to poke it, you need to prod it, you need to scratch it behind the ear and see what it does. Maybe this is what you need to move forward. Maybe you're barking up the wrong tree. And previously, you had to walk through a number of steps before you could really start exploring your data. But now there's a a part of Power BI that gives you this essentially window into your your data all the way before you've done all the the, uh, complicated steps to it. Good stuff. How would this look? Would you still, like, would it make sense to me if I were given a data set? (laughs) 
and Power BI Explorer. <laughs> would it make sense to me? I don't think it would make sense to you. <laughs> no, I'm just because kidding. Of, Sorry. <laughs> because of who I am or because of <laughs> yes. the way Power BI Explorer will thank you? No, but it, it's it's not that complicated. <laughs> it it behaves a lot like um, SQL Server Management Studio, if you will. Mm-hmm. So you connect to your your semantic model, which is mm-hmm. the the new name for the dataset, and then you can query it through SQL. You can just start dragging out and and doing um, matrices or whatever visuals you want to look at. You could quickly start filtering and essentially probe the data and see where you get. So I would argue that it is going to make a lot of uh, sense for you. And it will very, very quickly tell you if you're going uh, the right way or if this this data is the way forward. It's not the end all. It's designed for initial exploration. That That's it. Um, then if you know your data, that th- this is what you want to do, well, then you take a step back and really start to uh, do the analysis that you came for. You, you, you have like... Uh, people you can call at Microsoft, can you please call tell them that this is like a pivot table, but can you just make it for me so I don't have to, <laughs> have to choose the things? So instead, just choose <laughs> the things that I need and make a table that looks like something instead of just garbage. Because that's what usually what happens with me when I try to do a pivot table. So please, It's funny thank you should say that because uh, people have, have said exactly that. This is very much like a pivot table. And it is exactly that. Um, I'm pretty sure that they are working on automating these things because it turns out that the pivot table is a pretty darn powerful tool. Um, a pivot table in the hands of someone who is not skilled enough is not only a very powerful tool, but also a very dangerous tool. <laughs> yeah. Not naming I, any names, Bjorn. I heard my name there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving on, speaking of, of dangerous things, no, so... Power BI is going through a pretty significant visual upgrade. I think it's in the hands of Miguel Myers, uh, the PM that, that runs those things. And they they are doing awesome things. It's kind of weird now that Tableau is essentially dead in the water. So the, the, um, the primary enemy, if you will, uh, or the primary competitor is not really doing any, any work on. But that does not stop Power BI from upping its um, its work on on visuals. So we have new, uh, the the card visual, it came out um, a couple of months ago. The, the new card visual, it's phenomenal. Now we also have reference labels on the uh, card itself. So this is all about taking uh, KPIs and other uh, visuals and, and putting them together inside of one visual. It can be overwhelming. Absolutely, and we can have some some um, readability issues, but the the technology is there to put all these things into one label, and that in turn, I think, will give people the tools they need to make better reports from a, a visual and a, a aesthetical uh, perspective. Also, on the visual side of things, a new button slicer. Everybody needs a slicer. A slicer is essentially an interactive filter, right? So we can slice on on um, dates. We can slice on whatever. The new button slicer is a huge step up because now you can have pictures on it. You can do all kinds of formatting on the buttons. So it it essentially went from Windows 3.10 style of uh, 
dialogues to more like Windows 95. Let's all agree on it is a step forward, but it probably can go somewhere more. Maybe to Windows 10, the last Windows version ever, according to Simon Binder. Oh, come on. I had to put that in there somewhere. Yeah, thank you. It should have been the last Windows version ever. I'm sure. And finally, the enormous Fabric November update. This came out on the 15th. We could spend three episodes just talking about the Fabric updates because they are, they're working like crazy. I've said multiple times that I, I don't think that Fabric is anywhere near GA. I stand by that. But they are also working in, in triple speed to get it uh, to a point where it's really, really useful. So they are not slacking off at all. Uh, in fact, that it's always fun to read uh, the, the Fabric updates because they are shock full with information. So go look at that and um, let me know if there's anything else that I need to cover. Mm-hmm. That was for me. I'm pretty sure they aren't slacking. They are teamsing Alex. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> and this is why we can't have nice things. You have me. <laughs> I think Instead. that proves you wrong. My point exactly. Speaking about points, we'll talk about how to connect points with Microsoft Secure Service Edge or Entra Internet or Private Access. Intranet? It could have been intranet, uh, but it's both connecting to the intranet and the internet from or through Microsoft. So I think first I want to emphasize that if we had gone back two years in time, I can probably find some recordings of Microsoft saying that VPNs are dead and a thing of the past. And and I do think that, that Bjorn agrees with me that VPN can be a horrible bad thing to implement if you don't do it correctly. Uh, it's also a very efficient way for someone to get access to your network. It might not be the person you want to get access, but they get access. Uh, so, I think every, every end user loves to have the Cisco VPN client installed in their stats. <laughs> yeah, and, and they just changed its name, so it's now Cisco Secure Client. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Can, can I have the uh, Cisco Unsecure Client, please? Yeah, I know. I can, it's I like can when, hook you up on that one. I'm yeah. just going to do some Googling here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have talked about Microsoft Entra private access and pri- uh, internet access previously. It's basically a secure service edge solution, which means that the internet access is a web proxy. But since no one likes web proxies, they have to name it something else. What that will enable you to do, and more of these features were released during Microsoft Ignite, Uh, is that you now can get universal conditional access. So since you go through a proxy, you are now able to put conditional access in front of whichever site you want. It doesn't have to be integrated with Entra ID anymore. So you basically say you can reach this or you can reach that if you fulfill some certain conditions and requirements. We uh, also have more visibility into user behavior and we can get more insight into things like original or source IP uh, restoration. So if you move from one place and go through some kind of VPN solution or the web proxy, it will be able to say, yeah, Simon was actually using this IP address and therefore we should apply these different policies 
to to his way of accessing the internet. Uh, but it also gives you some extended security uh, features like being able to protect uh, against token theft, as an example. So that's the internet access. The private access, on the other hand, and now this is Microsoft's words, not mine, is a VPN replacement. Last time I checked, it's still doing a network connection between wherever you are to wherever you want to be, which to me sounds a lot like VPN. It's like when they talk about next generation firewall or CTNA enabled VPN solutions. It's the same thing. Uh, But Microsoft has clearly uh, understood that people won't be moving away from client server applications that runs on-prem anytime soon. So private access will now be able to be a VPN solution, very similar to um, web application proxy, but now extends to any kind of app, which also means that you can get multi-factor authentication to all on-prem apps you like uh, based on the network location. And all of these features will actually be available to Windows, Android, Mac OS, and iOS uh, very, very soon. I think you even can try some of these features as we speak. I think, Simon, you were around when this statement came out. I'm not sure that Haney was. Uh, <laughs> when um, the CEO of Microsoft said, uh, we are all in on Azure. There will be mm-hmm. nothing on-prem anymore. Those were the days. It turns out that reality had mm. opinions in that statement. Exactly. They are all in on hybrid now. Oh, yeah. As they were all in on Windows as a service and Windows 10 being the last operating system. And then Windows 11 came out because it's what operating system built for the new way of working during the pandemic. You know, Uh, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that Simon is a bit bitter. (laughs) Slightly. Yeah, people think my surname is Binder. It's actually bitter. (laughs) You heard it here first. That makes so sense. Simon Bitter. Simon Bitter. Uh, speaking about networking, it will be a lot of networking in this this episode. Uh, we have some news in Microsoft Intune where you are now able to manage firewall rules for Hyper-V, Windows subsystem for Linux, and Windows subsystem for Android. So if, and I've actually tried that when I was working together with Bjorn. Uh, we, uh, at that point, had a customer that were worried about users installing Windows subsystem for Linux and therefore avoiding Defender for Endpoint. So I had to do some tests with downloading and uploading things from Windows subsystem for Linux. Uh, And I can tell you that Defender sees that too. But now we're also able to create your own firewall rules for those containers. So you can control the network traffic from Hyper-V machines as well as subsystems on Windows which I think is is great. And especially when you now have more and more developers and IT pros using the subsystems, I think we need to, to be able to control that so that it's used for the right purposes. Can, can I put in a question here? Because mm-hmm. I, I find that to be extremely interesting. And it, it makes all the sense. But I would argue that the bigger problem here is not you being able to control these things. The bigger problem is that you even think about that this might be an issue. So what I'm I'm saying here is what what is the the what is the documentation and how much are we talking about this to 
users and, and admins that this is this can be an open avenue if you're not careful. I think we talk about it too little. The reason being that this is what we force developers into when they're not allowed to run the operating system they want. So if we instead give them a Linux machine or a Mac OS machine or whatever they want, we can avoid this. Uh, because, yes, I, I understand if there are people that likes to have a Linux environment or an Android environment running on their Windows machine, but most people that have a greater need for that kind of environment probably would prefer to run Linux or Mac OS natively on the hardware instead. Yeah, and I would also say that I think IT has to um, take the blame here. Uh, it's been mm-hmm. pre- pretty much the department of no for years, uh, <laughs> yeah. as security people also do. Um, mm-hmm. So um, if you have developers or something like that trying to, or even people just working, uh, trying to solve problems within the organization, and then they say, well, I can't do this because of a, XYZ, some some sort of GPO or whatever. Uh, and if I do this in, in a VM on my computer, then I can fix this very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do a VM mm-hmm. or whatever. So I, I think it's sometimes IT listens to little and say, well, no, we can't do that because our process says no or our... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you have a process and you save it as, as a PDF, it can <laughs> never be changed. <laughs> Never. Yeah, yeah th- that's how so, policies are created. Uh, Very yeah. so true. PDFs were the first immutable storage then. Yeah. That, yeah. And then, so, it, because it says in the PDF here, we can't do that, so no. He's on to something here. It, it, yes. yeah. it would be way more yes. fun if this was not fact. But <laughs> yeah, it mm-hmm. is. <laughs> no, but it, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's sad because it's something. true. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> And this is also something that I, I would love to have a, a, a conversation about uh, in the future because I would argue, and I, I alluded to that many times on this podcast, that IT has sort of kind of forgotten what it is. IT is mm-hmm. a support function. IT is never the primary function of the business. Well, I'm sure there are a handful of... I think Facebook disagrees, but yes, you continue. <laughs> Facebook is all about control, but yeah, Yeah. no, let's (laughs) let's not have that conversation. No, we'll leave that for now. Yeah. Uh, Yes. So the last small bits uh, I wanted to talk about were, again, reminding everybody about the new uh, Microsoft managed conditional access policies that are rolling out that will, you should be notified in your portal. Don't get alarmed because if you get them and you have no clue what they are, you will probably need them. If you get them and are like feel calm that I can handle this, take it as an opportunity to review the conditional access policies you actually do have and ensure that they are what you think they are. Uh, and if you already have done that, well, then you're a good person. But check them out, check your conditional access policies. And if you are terrified of these, get help. The uh, other thing is that we uh, now have the ability to provision Entra ID accounts from various HR solutions, and that list have now been extended. So more and more HR solutions are getting support for provisioning Entra ID accounts. And the reason why Microsoft in- is introducing this is because they don't want you to run 
Microsoft Identity Manager, MIM, or whatever the name is nowadays uh, on-prem anymore. They want you to do that in the cloud instead. Uh, so they are moving in that direction. I've heard that the licensing of this is absolutely horrendous. So we will probably get back on it because it's a really nice feature when it works, but it might be very costly for you, which I think is sad because uh, MIM has actually been included in your uh, Entra ID licenses up until now. A question. You said provision. Can you only provision or can you manage it through the HR tools? So basically, you can update it through the HR tool as well. So if you make okay. any changes to the HR tool, it should be reflected in Entry and therefore having one source of truth. And then the the um, identity within the cloud should be uh, following whatever HR tells it that it should do. And then it's obviously up to you to give it the appropriate access packages or whatever you want uh, to make it actually work. Sure. Uh, and the last bit, since it's so seldom I need or I get to speak about Config Manager, we have a new technical preview, 23.11. And the most notable thing in it, apart from that, you can create folders in some new places, which is a huge thing in the Config Manager world, is that you are now able to deploy ARM64 devices using Config Manager. Why you would do that is beyond me. <laughs> because it's basically, I want to run a task sequence on my iPhone. Yeah because that's absolutely what everyone wants to do. Is the iPhone considered an ARM64 device? I have no clue. No, I, I was thinking about the, the uh, what was the Surface Duo? Uh, no, no yeah, not that's the, probably the, the Surface Pro uh, X. Yes, the yes, one you that, bought. The one I have, still love it, but I would never run a task sequence on it. Then again, you still love Windows Phone, so we can now move on. Yes. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my cue. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I will veer back to the data side of things a little bit because Alexander abandoned one of his news items since it had networking in it. Or Run maybe away. I. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there is this. Well, when you use cloud services to run your data solutions, for example, especially something as complex as Synapse, especially from the networking perspective, it might be quite difficult to troubleshoot if you have any issues. And I know Alexander had this kind of situation a while back where things just weren't working the way they were supposed to. So in the show notes, there will be a link to this Synapse Connectivity series, which is a part four-part blog series about connectivity. For one, there are articles about all the different aspects that you need to consider. So, for example, how do you do private endpoints? How do you use the managed VNet and so forth? Because networking for Synapse is a puzzle with many pieces, and you need to figure out how they fit together. So this is a great resource if you have to do that. And the last part of this series is also about how do you really do advanced networking troubleshooting? And there is both like an approach of how do you actually scope correctly? How do you determine where are you trying to connect from? What is in between? Are there firewalls? What kind of operating system are you running? And so forth. So it has kind of this systematic approach, which I'm always a huge fan of. 
And then there is a very practical uh, like instructions on how you can use Wireshark to troubleshoot your networking for Synapse, which is pretty cool if you're into that kind of stuff, I guess. <laughs> I know people that are way too much into Wireshark, to be honest. <laughs> no, but th th this, this highlights one of the, the biggest challenges that I find in working with analytics in, in the cloud. I know analytics inside and out. I'm reasonably mm -hmm. well-versed in, in networking as well. And I think my lucky star, that is the case, because if I was not as into networking, I would not have a clue when it comes to using stuff like Wireshark. The, these are the things that mm. you never face when you run analytics on-prem. But when your analytics solution is essentially on the other side of, of the world, well, you will be using Wireshark, thank you very much. And, and having these kinds of tutorials and walkthroughs, I think they're absolutely invaluable. The number of people yeah. that can do this without uh, spending half the day just looking up things in, in the manual, I think they could be counted on, on a fan inspector's left hands, fingers. That would be... That is very four specific. Three, yeah. Would you say that it's more common that the fan inspector's left hand gets less fingers than the right? Doesn't that depend on if, Why? doesn't it depend Why? on like which Why? hand is the primary hand for that person? True. And statistically speaking, most people are right-handed. Ah. Uh, are most fan inspectors right-handed? Statistically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, I think we can move on to event grid <laughs> updates that I have. <laughs> Oh my gosh, sorry. So uh, we have a few updates that came into Event Grid already during Microsoft Ignite. So maybe the biggest thing that you might have already heard about is that uh, there has been kind of the what Event Grid is able to do has been expanded because there is MQTT support that has been brought into Event Grid which means that it is also fitting for IoT scenarios. And it is kind of the direction that Microsoft is taking you if you are doing IoT solutions. So it, it's I find it's a little confusing in Azure because we have many of these event-based uh, services. We've got Event Hub, we've got Event Grid, and you're like, which one should I use? If you need M MQTT and IoT devices, that is like one use case. And the difference that we need to understand with Event Grid, it is for those scenarios where you need publish subscribe messaging. So you need might not might have multiple subscribers to one stream of events, for example, or even multiple pub publishers as well. So it's kind of like a many-to-many -many hub of events that you can have. And the other aspect that has been added there, since it is clearly getting maybe a little bit more central role in the Azure platform, is that there is also now system topics that can be used for resource management and health uh, events. So for Azure services. So you could use Event Grid now to then uh, route messages about changes in your resource health 
or if there are some kind of resource management activities that you also want to uh, route messages on. That is also possible. So interesting evolution for this particular service. I love that he said M- MQTT. Yes, everybody knows what that is. Yeah. I, I have not been Googling that for the last like, minute or something. Absolutely now not. Now you can tell us what it is. Um, message queuing telemetry transport. And that's explains yes. everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for highlighting that. That is a very, very good point. Uh, but it is the protocol that has become quite standard for IoT devices to be able to send messages to some kind of IoT uh, service that acts as an IoT hub. So a service that is able to receive those messages. So it's the transfer protocol. And not not only receive, it's a bidirectional protocol yes. to enable you to manage the IoT pieces as well. Exactly. So this might be a, a, an odd question, but it, w- would this be a message from a device stating that something is wrong with me? Or would it actually be the data that this IoT device is submitting for later analysis? Could or be both. either. Both. Could, yeah. It can be Could, both telemetry yeah. and payload. Exactly. So basically, I'm not going to use this one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is very specific que- use case. <laughs> Question is, your, your machines at home probably already uses it. Yeah, ha- very mm-hmm. happily. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's the same thing. You don't necessarily need to know the inner workings of something mm. like HTTPS very deeply to use it. It's the same with MQTT. You don't need to understand every single detail about it to actually use it in an efficient way and for your machines to use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we go into a, like a small uh, use item that it kind of had, <laughs> it caused me to have a thought. <laughs> so <laughs> one thought, <laughs> one thought. Yes, exactly. So for Azure Data Explorer, do you know what that is? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've used yes. that. Wow. Okay, great. So, Exactly. This is the Custo engine that you are able to spin separately and take your own data into queries using Custo. So previously, for using Azure Data Explorer clusters, you in your own virtual network, you've had to use virtual in network ingestion I- injection. Excuse me, and. What has come in now is the support and a preview for Azure private endpoints. And why I highlighted this news item is that we do still have a few of these services in Azure that use VNet injection. For example, Azure Databricks, uh, App Service Environments, and so forth. So there's a few, a couple of services that still use that approach. But there are a lot of challenges to it because then you need to take into consideration the sizing of the subnets, for example, much more critically. Uh, whereas with private endpoints, you just create an endpoint into your subnet instead. So I just see this, this as an interesting news item in the sense that maybe this will be something we will see going forward as a direction. With some of the services, there 
hasn't quite been a change to the VNet injection in a long time. So we'll kind of see where that goes, but it's just interesting that in this service that is actually still quite new as its separate offering in Azure. Uh, of course, Custo has been around as the engine for log analytics for a long time, so there could be like history for the architecture there. But it's just interesting that there was this inje VNet injection support there, but now they are shifting to private endpoints as well. I think I think you're on to why uh, ADX and Custo did not have Custo uh, networks uh, and, and private endpoints support from the beginning because it is one of the oldest technologies. Mm -hmm. Also, the same with Databricks; it has been around for a long, long time. As is the same mm -hmm. with with app services. So, I personally hope that they will be moving towards the private endpoint, even though. Let's not open the can of worms that it's called private endpoints. <laughs> yes, let's not. Let's leave that for another time. And speaking of time. Exactly. <laughs> I think we do need to wrap this particular episode up. I had one more item about confidential computing, but it was tied to the Ignite news items, so we can come you're, back to you're it gonna keep that secret, at, a, right? at a later time. Yeah. We'll keep it confidential still. <laughs> even mm. after previous episode as well. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, if you're brave like Bjorn, please send us a <laughs> message via email. It would be really nice to hear from you and you might just end up in one of our episodes. And with that, thank you so much for joining. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need in Tech. Need in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmarinen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needinbintech.com. <laughs>